Hello, this is R.J. Deacon reading the Supreme Court of the United States opinion syllabus in Garza v. Idaho. Certiori to the Supreme Court of Idaho. Argued October 30th, 2018. Decided February 27th, 2019. Petitioner Gilberto Garza Jr. signed two plea agreements, each arising from state criminal charges, and each containing a clause stating that Garza waived his right to appeal. Shortly after sentencing, Garza told his trial counsel that he wished to appeal. Instead of filing a notice of appeal, counsel informed Garza that an appeal would be problematic given Garza's appeal waiver. After the time period for Garza to preserve an appeal lapsed, he sought state post-conviction relief, alleging that his trial counsel had rendered ineffective assistance by failing to file a notice of appeal despite his repeated requests. The Idaho Trial Court denied relief, and the Idaho Court of Appeals affirmed. Also affirming, the Idaho Supreme Court held that Garza could not show the requisite deficient performance by counsel and resulting prejudice. In doing so, the court concluded that the presumption of prejudice recognized in Roe v. Flores-Ortega, when trial counsel fails to file an appeal as instructed, does not apply when the defendant has agreed to an appeal waiver. Held, Flores-Ortega's presumption of prejudice applies regardless of whether a defendant has signed an appeal waiver. Under Strickland, a defendant who claims ineffective assistance of counsel must prove, one, that counsel's representation fell below an objective standard of reasonableness, and two, that any such deficiency was prejudicial to the defense. However, prejudice is presumed in certain Sixth Amendment contexts, such as when counsel's constitutionally deficient performance deprives the defendant of an appeal that he otherwise would have taken, Flores Ortega. This case hinges on two procedural devices, appeal waivers and notices of appeal. No appeal waiver serves as an absolute bar to all appellate claims, because a plea agreement is essentially a contract it does not bar claims outside of its scope, and, like any contract, the language of appeal waivers can vary widely, leaving many types of claims unwaived. A waived appellate claim may also proceed if the prosecution forfeits or waives the waiver, or if the government breaches the agreement. Separately, some claims are treated as unwaivable. Most fundamentally, Courts agree that defendants retain the right to challenge whether the waiver itself was knowing and voluntary. The filing of a notice of appeal is a purely ministerial task that imposes no great burden on counsel, Flores Ortega. Filing requirements reflect that the appellate claims are likely to be ill-defined or unknown at the filing stage, and within the division of labor between defendants and their attorneys, the ultimate authority to decide whether to take an appeal belongs to the accused. Jones v. Barnes Garza's attorney rendered deficient performance by not filing a notice of appeal in light of Garza's clear request. Given the possibility that a defendant will end up raising claims beyond an appeal waiver's scope, simply filing a notice of appeal does not necessarily breach a plea agreement. Thus, counsel's choice to override Garza's instructions was not a strategic one. In any event, 
the bare decision whether to appeal is ultimately the defendant's to make. Because there is no dispute that Garza wished to appeal, a direct application of Flores Ortega's language resolves this case. Flores Ortega reasoned that because a presumption of prejudice applies whenever the accused is denied counsel at a critical stage, it makes greater sense to presume that prejudice when counsel's deficiency forfeits an appellate proceeding altogether. Because Garza retained a right to appeal, at least some of the issues, despite his waivers, he had a right to a proceeding and was denied that proceeding altogether as a result of counsel's deficient performance. That he surrendered many claims by signing appeal waivers does not change things. First, the presumption of prejudice does not bend because a particular defendant seems to have had poor prospects. See J. Lee versus United States. Second, while the defendant in Flores Ortega did not sign an appeal waiver, he did plead guilty, which reduces the scope of potentially appealable issues on its own. Contrary to the argument by Idaho and the U.S. government as amicus that Garza never had a right to his appeal and thus that any deficient performance by counsel could not have caused the loss of any such appeal, Garza did retain a right to his appeal. He simply had fewer possible claims than some other appellants. The government also proposes a rule that would require a defendant to show on a case-by-case basis that he would have presented claims that would have been considered by the appellate court on the merits. This court, however, has already rejected attempts to condition the restoration of the defendant's appellant rights forfeited by ineffective counsel on proof that the defendant's appeal had merit. Rodriguez v. United States Moreover, it is not the defendant's role to decide what arguments to press, making it especially improper to impose that role upon the defendant simply because his opportunity to appeal was relinquished by deficient counsel, and because there is no right to counsel in post-conviction proceedings, and thus most applicants proceed pro se, the government's proposal would be unfair, ill-advised, and unworkable. The decision is reversed and remanded. Justice Sotomayor delivered the opinion of the court, in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Ginsburg, Breyer, Kagan, and Kavanaugh joined. Justice Thomas filed a dissenting opinion, in which Justice Gorsuch joined, and in which Justice Alito joined as to parts one and two. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of the podcast, we can be reached at RhodesScholar80 at gmail.com.